Bracken and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with his mind. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time. Knowing that really, all you got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Hello and welcome to the Here We Go podcast. Now tonight, two games into the Stephen Glass reign, uh, we think it's time to take uh, a little bit of a closer look at what uh, Stephen Glass and Alan Russell have been trying to do tactically and to help us try and unpick that well. We go and we get the best in the business on this show. So, JJ Bull, welcome. Hi, yeah, I'm your stand-in for the... <laughs> whoever the best is meant to have been. But yes, thanks for having me. Uh, great that you could join us tonight, JJ. Um... You were actually pretty effusive about um, what you saw on Saturday, Saturday it was, against mm-hmm. Livingston, when, frankly, during that first half, and until Frank, until we scored, really, there seemed to be a paucity of fluency and a paucity of things coming together, but, but you enjoyed what you were watching. Uh, would you like to try and explain in a bit more detail what particularly you enjoyed and, and what things you saw? Because I thought <laughs> I think there were two very different types of performance, one against Livingston where we had more of the ball and then very much more a, a harder work without the ball on Wednesday night. Yeah, so uh, I know... It's, it's weird. I saw a lot of react, reaction. I'm going purely by Twitter and a couple of pals WhatsApp and me is that um, people thought the performance was terrible because you know the players didn't know what they're doing and clearly need to change all this stuff. But I mean, Glass must have had about three actual days or something to work with the team on the training ground. And the differences between what we last saw from the McKinnis team and what we saw from the Glass team were just enormous. Uh, so, for example, in the week before or the last game when it was um, uh, Sheeran in charge. So I think this must have been in, in communication with Glass and the team coming in. They, they changed the shape to like a it's like a four four two or a four two three one, right? Something in between. Yeah. So you'd so you'd have McGinn and Hornby um, as the well, this is the lineup for the Livingston games, I should say. So McGinn and Hornby as the two forwards out of possession. So McGinn is basically a ten, but he can float around in between. You've got two wingers who can come inside the pitch if they want to. You've got two a double pivot if you want to use all the fancy words. Um, two basically sixes, but Ferguson's maybe more of an eight who can move up and down the pitch. Um, and you've got two fullbacks. So nothing much different to what McInnes used to do with the 4-2-3-1. Um, I'll even go back to saying why, why I didn't like what we're seeing from McInnes' teams in that 3-5-2 and 3-4-3. Everything was, all the width in the, in the team came from the, the wingbacks who were yeah. always left 1v1 with at least one, maybe mostly two defenders couldn't get any crosses in the box. There was never enough people in the box. There was no support pushing up to win second balls. The defence stood miles away from the strikers. It was like the, the space vertically between the striker and the, the defender was far too much for a team trying to attack. Uh, and in defence, it just seemed too easy to go through. And it, it was just it was awful, terrible, terrible, terrible. And I mean, the, the amount of goals that 
Aberdeen scored is one thing, but the amount of chances and like the dreadful play, just launching it, it was awful. Just, oh. Anyway, what we saw with Sheeran was a sort of a, a, a bridge between it. But uh, especially in the first half of the, what was the game I'm thinking of where Sheeran was in charge? Uh, it was in Johnston. And um, the first half, it was a 4 4 2, but it was really flat. So there was no, so like, I mean, in possession, even you'd have the fullbacks were level with the centre backs, the wingers were level with the, with the, mid, the centre midfielders, and they were spread wide in the pitch, even in the out of possession, I should say. So whenever the Sea Johnson wanted to play through Aberdeen, they could because there's too much space between the lines, and the idea is meant to be in a four-four-two out possession. It's more compact, so that you can't play through. I mean, I'm sure people already know a lot of this stuff. But, you know, you, want, you shouldn't let people play through you. The four four two should let the, the ball go wide, so then you can control where the ball is, and you can shift over and block them and push them back. And uh, the first half terrible, the second half a bit better. And Livingston, you just saw it all start to come together, even though it wasn't. I mean, it's nowhere near perfect, right? Like I said, they've had about three days in the training ground. But the big differences are the team was compact in and out of possession. So ideally, for, for me, a, a team should be like an accordion. So when you're out of position, you're really thin whatever noise that makes and when it goes out it makes the noise of an accordion right and it goes all wide so that's what the, <laughs> that's what the team was doing but it it moved perfectly with the phases of play uh, and the big differences that i think you'll notice next time you watch them play and especially in the Celtic game is how early the fullbacks engage with the opposition wingers so often what you'd get is like uh, i know i've jumped from livingston to celtic but you'd have the wingers are getting to the box almost like level with the 18 yard level with maybe 30 yards before they get their first engagement from a defender um but now like the fullbacks are engaging higher up the pitch so the wingers can be higher up the pitch which means you can actually counterattack and the team is more compact so there's less space through it and I don't think it's been compact uh, horizontally, but vertically, which is an important bit for me. So there was a time in the Livingston game and in the Celtic game where the two centre-backs for Aberdeen were beyond the, the centre circle. That's how, you, yeah. that's how you meant to do it. There was definitely a, definitely a point during the Livingston game where both Hoban and Constantine were popping up on the wing. And the centre-backs generally, I think, have been encouraged to travel forward with the ball. Mm-hmm. Particularly when faced with a low block, as we were on, um, well, Livingston are a bit odd. They, they 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 do press high, but they did kind of fall. I think with the goal to defend, they kind of fell more into a low block in the second yeah. half on Saturday. They don't really play um, midfield, so do they? They just go from front to back yeah. as quick as they can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was very clear that you know again that was a little tweak that the centre backs have been encouraged to travel forward with the ball because one of the most Insufferable aspects of the last couple of months, Derek McInnes' reign, was the needless and endless recycling of possession between your two centre-backs without actually going anywhere. So that was something, and there was, there was clearly a focus of the attacking play down the wings, down the flanks, making the pitch wide. You can see that by the ball touches, you can see that on both, sat- on both Saturday night and on Wednesday night. Um, I thought as well, I don't know if there's anything you noticed, but there were generally fewer of those low risk passes, those passes just to, to cycle possession. We were escaping the press quite often by a quick switch, a quick switch to flanks, which again was not something we were doing too much of in the latter days of Derek McInnes' reign. It's a bit unfair to, to make a comparison, particularly with those last three months of McInnes, in a way, because everything stopped working. Everything just collapsed, more or less, in and of itself, like a death star. Um... Interesting, I thought, was that in all this talk about this, uh, the very much on vogue at the moment is the high press. 
again, maybe it's just because we had something to hang on to, but last night we fell off that and we, we did just sit very, very, very deep. We pressed, yes, but only in our own half. Uh, do you think that's something you'll see more often from Glass, uh, just a, a sort of um, own half-court press? Uh, I mean, this is one of the things, right? You don't have to be a good tactician to have like one set like philosophy. Like everyone talks about cloth, or whatever. He's got one way of playing, and that's it, right? And that doesn't mean that he's some master. Like Zinedine Zidane, for example, like people don't often think of him as a great tactician, but he is because you don't really notice what he does with his team. He just changes and adapts all the time. Against Celtic, you can't really press him that high, especially after three days of training or whatever he's had, full days of training with a team that is clearly not fit enough to be able to play that way. I mean, it hasn't been that fit for a season. Um, and the intricacies of getting the press right, you know, one person's out of position, it falls apart, and they can play straight through you. Celtic can play with the ball, they've got pace, they have very clever players, like Turnbull, Edward, very, like, and Christie as well, like, really clever players who can play through you. So the high press doesn't make much sense. Um, but you can have like a high block, a mid block, and it makes sense to engage at halfway, because it means that a team like Celtic have to open up to an extent to get to where, you know, they want to transition from their defensive shape into their more attacking shape. And that should make them expand, like the accordion we're talking about, which gives you space to get at. So it makes total sense for me. It's quite an, it's actually quite an attacking tactic to wait for that mid-block and try and go through them that way. It, just made to, it makes total sense to me what he's trying to do with it. But you can see the... Uh, I've seen Aberdeen run more, I think, I don't know the numbers, but like run or make short sprints more in these last two games than I can remember seeing for years. And sure enough, they might be, they might be covering more distance under McInnes, but probably because the team are so far apart all the time. They have to cover more distance, so it feels like they're doing more. Does that make sense? What about the change in personnel? Um, there was a reluctance again under the previous manager to, to give some of the, the young kids, I think, the opportunity to actually trust them and believe that they're ready. On Saturday, not on Saturday, on Wednesday we saw Calvin Ramsey, um, more through Russell Curry's misfortune, I suppose, make 75 minutes. Um, Jack McKenzie had been trusted to start in the league game previously and came on and, and played a part with 20 minutes to go. And I think definitely one of the winners about, this change, uh, about the change in manager has been Dean Campbell. It seems that he's now a regular starter under the new management. Yeah. And I think he should be. I think Campbell's. I don't get why people don't like Campbell. It reminds me of the same criticism we got, uh, Ryan Jack got at Aberdeen, where people don't see quite what he does. He like he sees more in the pitch than other people do. It's a point you made earlier about how um, they play less of these short possession passes, or just for no point for lumping it. But the reason they're able to do that in this setup is because there are players in position. Like there are there are diagonal lines between players to allow these passes, and Campbell's one of the players that is able to facilitate that. So you put him in, and straight away you get someone who can. Keep the ball, knows when to pass it short, can spot a, like a line-breaking pass is what you want. Players who can do that. Ferguson's not really one of those kind of players. He can drive with the ball, he can take you a place. But Campbell can thread it through like, a couple of the midfielders and get you up the pitch that way. Which it, It's so, so valuable. Those players tend to be very expensive when they've got something like that. And the fact he's that young... I mean, he's even... <laughs> I always refer to video games when I'm talking in podcasts and stuff. But like, he's always had good... Uh, he's always been highly thought of in certain video games, especially Football Manager, whose scouting is pretty exhaustive. And it, particularly his like mentality is key. Like he's really determined. You saw how annoyed he was after the game, at having lost. Like that's a guy who wants to win. But he's also got uh, really good first touch, great vision, great spatial awareness, good positioning, and he'll get better at things like knowing, like basically decision making. I think he'll he'll improve at. 
players like I mean, I mean McInnes got a bit of a hard time a lot of times for not playing some of the youngsters but sometimes they just weren't ready yet and that's like you throw them in, you know it's things like positioning that you only learn on the job basically so when do you give them a chance when do you put them in and you saw with like I thought Ramsey was really good in particular and hopefully he gets a chance now that Crory is injured because he'll good McKenzie I'm not totally sure about but maybe he needs games yeah, there was always that uh, trade-off, wasn't there, between, um, you know, you want a young player to gain experience, but also there is that need to win games and churn out victories and keep going and keep going and, and you know, hopefully end up qualifying for Europe again as, you know, we're on the threshold to doing again. Martin, I'm just wondering if there's any kind of thread you've picked up on in the last couple of games. As I say, very different performances in, in some ways, but, but have, there been, have there been sort of key changes that you've picked up on? I mean, well, I, I, did, I did want to say. I mean, obviously, what you were saying about Dean Campbell there—it's um, actually been some of the some of the stuff that's been you no know, comments about him online has actually quite annoyed me um, because I think you no, know, I'm a big fan of his, um, and yeah, I was you know, one of the few things that cheered me up after the game was seeing how annoyed he was because um, you know, it shows you no, know, you, you do want to see see how how much it means to some of the players. Um, so I mean, while I wasn't doing cartwheels, it was good to see that you know he was really really pissed off. Um, at dropping at dropping that point, re- no, I, I think that you know what he does. What, for example, what Campbell does isn't flashy, uh, but you know, you, I think every team needs someone like that. And again, JJ mentions Ryan Jack, you know, a guy who got a lot of criticism. Wasn't really a flashy player, but um, I think we were both pretty big fans of him on, the, on here as here as well. Um, and so I, I, I hope that you know, this is maybe the start of seeing really good things from from Campbell. Um, I'm, 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 I know I know McInnes did play you know, did play at times during the season four at the back, um, but I think that we've gone to that. Um, I'm a big fan of that. That's how that's how we've seen the I think we've seen the best of Aberdeen um, in recent history when he's been playing sort of like McInnes playing his four two three one. Um, now, unfortunately, because he changed from that, that's why we haven't seen guys like Calvin Ramsey. I mean, you know, we started the season off with you know, well, I suppose if you include Ramsey, we had with three right backs at the club and not no. And ended up not one of them could get a game um, because no, because just well for for a raft of different reasons. So um, I'm 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 happy that we've gone gone this four two three one. I think it works better. I think you know with the personnel we've got uh, got now and understand at the start of the season that you know we went with three the three four three or whatever we want to call it because of, because I know we had the Watkins and you know, Hedges right trio. Uh, but I think we're, it seems to be working better with this four two three one now. Um, you know I was. After St Johnston, yeah, I was a bit critical of, of Kennedy. I think in the last couple of games he's been a lot better. Um, and yeah, I don't, no, Stephen Glass hasn't had a lot of time. You know, he's admitted that himself in the interviews. He hasn't had a lot of time to work with these guys, so he's implementing things slowly but surely. Uh, but there is, you, know, you can you can see the difference. Um, you know, more definitely more running. We seem to be getting the ball forward quicker, uh, and that's just. I mean, I think we, I think that we are. We certainly look to be it without being you know, ultra direct. You know, we've you know, he's not played, so we haven't seen these you no know, raking Ash Taylor passes from front to back. <laughs> but we're definitely you know, we're definitely getting the ball wide and getting it up quicker. I mean, that's where the that's where the um, the, the McGinn goal against Livingston comes from. You know, it comes up from getting getting the ball really quickly up the left hand side and getting it through to him in the middle. Um, and and that's something we want to see. We want to see Aberdeen teams moving the ball fast, um, as opposed to you know, how long have we sat and watched just uh, Joe Lewis out to Scott McKenna or Ash Taylor Constein, then out to out to Logan and then back and then back to the keeper and you know 
that's that's going nowhere. Um, you keep, keep see lots of the ball, but there's, you're not threatening with it. Whereas, you know, we seem to me in the last couple of games, the shoots of something something really positive. Even on that note with the, with the Campbell, like, I think Campbell doesn't even suit like a Derek McInnes team, especially in that three four three or three five two. When everything's going kind of over his head, he's just lost in the middle. He's not a very like he, he can run, but he's not you know he's not a dynamic player. He's not he's not going to travel eighty yards and, and carry the ball with him. He's there to get in position to pick the ball up. And yeah, uh, he's not the Chase or Harry or uh, yeah. uh, or Ferguson probably. Are. In fact, I'm not sure McCurry's that either. I'm not. I'm yet to be convinced of what McCurry's best role actually is going to be in this team. I'm not sure either. I think it's probably centre mid as a. I think he'd be a good a six or an eight. I think having him in there eventually. Um, that's one of the, that classic cliche problem is that he's going to have too many positions. You know, not to be the master of any of them. But uh, you can tell he's just. I mean, McCroy's a great player, right? You got to put him in the team somewhere, and I'd say in this team you can need overlapping fullbacks. That's clear because uh, that's what they've been doing. So they need someone who's really quick who can get a ball in um, and has got the energy to run up and down the the line all all day. McCrory's going to be good. I think it's one of the two sixes, and they play the, the double pivot. And uh, I mean Ferguson, it's good having the options. Basically, having Ferguson, him, and Campbell, and Scott Brown is going to be useful going forward for the rest of the se- uh, for next season. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on with it, and I think it's good to see that they're more attacking. Um, the, the play is going quicker from back to front and it's not just because they've put an attacking mentality it's literally because players are in the right positions to be able to receive a ball a player can get it, turn and knows where his next pass is whereas you'll see if you look back at any of the old McInnes games in the season a defender like you said, Taylor, will get it his only option really is to shell it so he does badly and it turns over and it just goes back it just cancel out games It was yeah. It's, I'm really impressed with what I've seen so far the way we are attacking is actually fairly old school McInnes, isn't it? There is an there's a real focus on going down the wing. It's a four two three one. Um, the way we're playing without the ball is maybe a little bit different, but you know the the importance of the overlapping fullbacks, um, getting crosses in from the wings, connecting with the striker, not necessarily having a a, a big target man in the middle either. It, it it's very classic McInnes in a lot of ways. It makes you wonder why he moved away from that. Was it just a case of diminishing returns from him in in that approach? Um, I genuinely wonder whether the change is because he saw Sheffield United doing so well with what they'd done and mm. the, the players that they'd assembled uh, absolutely suited the system like if you start <laughs> if you start a game football manager today with Aberdeen the squad suits play in that shape and whether that's <laughs> whether that's by design or um, just so that's what they could get in or whatever you know it just kind of makes sense there's no so, and you see a lot of teams had a lot of success that recently. I think the best example I've seen of it is probably Conte's Chelsea, who were really underrated. They were phenomenal. He's having similar success with that same system uh, just now at uh, Inter. And also he did a similar thing at Italy when they had kind of target men that they were hitting up to, which is probably more what McInnes is going for. I don't think for a minute he, McInnes was ever studying <laughs> the, uh, the workings of Antonio Conte to deduce what his next ploy would be. But... I think there's something in what Sheffield United did and how it gives him defensive security. Um, you can be... I don't, what, I don't know what the word I'm trying to look for is. like A lot of times if you play, especially in this, the Premiership, if you try and play pretty passing football, the team who is not doing that is the one that wins. Like You saw Stephen Robinson's mother well this season, just 
they tried to do it, it did not work. They were good when they were transitioning from being hoofballers into a lovely footballing side, and they were excellent towards the end of last season. Um, was it last season? I'm thinking of yeah, and then uh, even the start before I can't remember where I was, but you know what I'm talking about. Just, they were nice to watch Robinson's Motherwell at the very peak, and so if you play. Like you get success with like Mourinho teams. Like the teams that win cups tend to be either the very best individual players, or um, the team who shit houses it and defends the best. Uh, and I think that's kind of what he's going for, just to being solid. And also having having changed players and squads so many times, it's probably easier to create a team that can destroy and take advantage of a lucky couple of goals and just just win rather than anything that's too. Uh, pretty to watch and yeah in a way like maybe Glass is putting a lot of things in place where there are um, a lot of parameters and rules that players have to follow and what McInnes was doing was actually far more uh, freedom facilitating so rather than give players instructions you, you know the players decide for themselves what they're going to do but I think you can see for a lot of the players that we've got just now having these set I mean, not maybe patterns as such but having like you go here now because of this and that's why and this is what will happen is probably something that you need. A bit of coaching, basically. <laughs> I mean, that is interesting because it is certainly a theme that we've touched on this season about, you know, did we have the players to work out these on-field problems themselves? And, yeah, that, that is quite interesting. One thing that hasn't really clicked under Stephen Glass yet, and it's still only been two games, clearly, and uh, it's gone better than it uh, had been in the preceding couple of months, was the integration of a striker. I, I don't particularly want to talk, JJ, about the strikers we've currently got at the club because, obviously... Uh, Hornby started uh, the other night, was taken off, wasn't seen on Wednesday. <laughs> he obviously impressed his manager. I just wonder what sort of attacker do you think Stephen Glass will look to, to play in the number 10 role next season? Uh, are we going to look for a big target man? Is it going to be somebody small and nippy that's going to uh, integrate into a passing system? What, what do you sense from what you've seen in the, the opening couple of games? I think he'll want a couple. Uh, it's obvious because there's going to be none there apart from Bruce next season. So, um, I mean, what I'd have them doing is getting the analysis, the data analyst guys, to find an affordable version from like the Polish league of Robert Lewandowski's equivalent now. <laughs> and that would be that. nice. What do you think is you can do that? Like, I mean, I know the software you can use to do it. You can find players who are relative to your level and see players like that, and you have to focus on leagues you can get. I mean. Everyone's looking for the same sorts of players, right? But I would imagine, the thing is, right, you don't get complete forwards because they tend to be valuable. Yeah, so that's my point. I mean, what qualities is yeah. he going to want to uh, focus in on? I, um, that's kind of hard to, to work. I mean, what you want is someone who's stretched a defence. So you want someone who's got a bit of speed who can run in behind. Um, I think that would be very important. Uh, I think you want someone who can also hold the ball up and link play so I mean I, I mean, quite. I, I think Hendry's done quite well I think he's a good player I also think Hornby's alright um, and I I, I mean the, the easiest answer to say is someone who will score goals but you want someone who can do if not, apart from someone who can run in behind you want someone who can hold the ball up a bit better than what Bruce Anderson can do because he's more of a goal poacher I'm trying to think of an example of a player that uh, would be good to have and I can't think of anyone right now I, I really think it's going to be about who's available, who they can get, and then you work a system around that rather than going for particular styles. I think you'll see who you can get, who's affordable, who's going to guarantee you a certain standard and not upset the dressing room and go from there. 
Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, Dun United on on Sunday, Martin. Obviously, key game this season. Now, we failed to score against them this season in three games, um, which says I think more about us than them because they are organised but pretty limited. Um, I would actually argue that they have been getting quite a lot of plaudits, but I think they've underperformed because you're probably looking at a budget that is top six in the Premiership, despite the fact that obviously they've just been promoted. Um, is there reasons for optimism that things will change for us on Sunday and we will finally score and get the win? I think there is, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, yeah, for Dundee United to come out, I mean, I think you know, you've seen how much um, praise, you know, Mickey Mellon's been getting loads of loads of praise from people this season. Um, particularly, no, particularly just you know, the, the kind of the usual kind of suspects in Scottish Scottish media. But um, so for them, for them to be kind of kind of saying that they're not getting any credit or anything like that was, uh, which I have seen is is, is a bit is a bit off. Um, I think there's I think there's plenty to be co- to be confident about going for. No, I understand. You know, we did. Re- you know, it was Celtic. You know, Celtic are a bit of a shambles, but we did really well against them. Uh, the Livingston game, it was tough, but. No, there was there was quality there, um, and you no, know, we've just spent you know, we've just spent twenty minutes talking about you no know, the what we're seeing seeing that's going right and going well. Um, so I think there's I think there's plenty to be positive about. I mean, they, I know they changed the team uh, last night. They made they made a few changes when they were playing against Kilmarnock last night and took a bit of a pasting. Um, but you know, no, I think we should I think we we should have we should have enough even even the position we find ourselves in where. You know things haven't been go- things haven't been going well, uh, but we've got but we've got a new manager in. We can see things going the right way, definitely. Um, and I, I I think we should be we should be absolutely positive going into this game uh, because you know, Dundee United, yes, they've done well. You know they're they're obviously they're going to stay in the league. You know they've they've done what every promoted team wants to achieve, which is not to go not to go straight back down. Um, so yeah, they should they, yeah give them some credit, but I think that. We have vastly underperformed in every game we've played in against them this season, um, and I think this is the time where we turn it around. The thing about the Dundee United games this season, uh, JJ, is that almost all of them, the first half we started out, we've been well on top. We look like we're maybe even going to score, um, but <laughs> Mellon and his team have, have had the ability to to, to make the tweaks at halftime, make the changes, and nullify us, and we've run out of ideas very very quickly. And then United either end up looking like they're going to win the game or do win the game, as it was the case last time. Um, that is a huge worry to me because, you know, even under the previous manager, there was a guy who was hugely experienced and should have been able to introduce a plan B into the system. Um, you've watched a bit more of Dundee United other than just games against us, I presume, because of your other podcast responsibilities. What's the secret to getting at them? Um... Uh, there's no secret to get them. They're very, very defensive-minded. So, I, I think what he's done. I understand they've got probably quite a large budget, considering the size of the club they are. But it, like we said, he got promoted, and the most important thing to do strategy-wise is to stay up. So they didn't change too much. They made some decent little signings, and they've made themselves very uh, hard to break down. Like they'll happily take a nil-nil, like all the time. Um, and then try and go from there. Very sort of like McInnes this season, actually, almost, except not by accident. It always does end up nil-nil. They'll actually you know, push for that. I think um, the secret would be making the pitch wide, high tempo of passing, 
uh, keeping that press up is, is very useful. It, it depends um, who they play. Uh, is, is Shankland even is he fit just now? I can't think if he's. He's been playing, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. Playing, been playing as Kelly though, did he? Well, as Martin said, I think they made some changes um, just for rotation because well, yeah, yeah. really it was meaning, meaningless for them, wasn't it? Yeah, I should probably I should probably know that actually, but uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing I should know having watched like most of the game they played. Uh, yeah, I think the thing with it, when it's uh, I'm talking about. I mean, it's their motivation for it is. I mean, obviously both teams want to win. <laughs> it's not like oh, I think we'll lose this game. Yeah, there's no secret to beating them. They are they're not amazing. Aberdeen have really underperformed the season like really badly. They have clearly the third best team in the league. Should have finished third. So I'm not going to now. Um, should be able to beat Dundee United. It definitely will score. I, I, I'm just, all season long. I, I've been I play this predictions league with my friends, and every week I put one nil Aberdeen on just because it's the most common score and it's mostly nil nil this season or something like that. But now. That can change to so something more than one nil. I think you saw like the progress against Celtic, especially. I think you saw the way we started against Livingston. That there's like Livingston are more aggressive than Dundee United. Similarly, they'll they'll sit deep, but Dundee United won't um won't be quite so mental when they go for a high press or anything like that. So I, I should suspect that we'll uh, be all right. Yeah, I think it's it's a good little test actually to see where we are. All right, well, that's Sunday afternoon. Let's hope that uh, when we convene again after that match that we still have a pulse in this season. Uh, thank you, Martin, for joining me tonight. And uh, thanks to JJ Bull. Thank you, JJ. Lovely. <laughs> I thought you just disappeared and vanished. <laughs> anyway, a little bit of suspense to, uh, to end the podcast. Is JJ dead? Is he not? Uh, it turns out he wasn't. Okay, so that's uh, hurrah. So, see, we all, uh, the news of JJ's continued existence. Okay, um, we will be back after that Daniel Light game on Sunday. Uh, not with JJ because he might be dead by then. Who knows? Ah, mate, yeah, who knows? This is a morbid turn, this podcast. It really is. Um, <laughs> Okay, uh, but uh, we will speak to you then. Until then, come on, you Reds.